welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. Well, good morning. So good to be with you this morning. Um, You only get to know someone when you see them in a real situation, when you've seen them in a stressful situation or a time in which they're really being tested. Um, I don't know if you can relate to this, but Saturday morning, you're getting the whippersnipper out, right? And you've got that ball, that twine, and you're trying to get it in and the spring keeps popping up. And you can't keep it on. And then you sort of have got fuel kind of leaking out everywhere because you've had the whippersnipper upside down. And so then you're pulling it and all you want to do is go bike riding or walking or go for a picnic, but you're stuck with this piece of machinery. Some of you might be able to relate to having a big birthday party, maybe a fifth birthday party, and there uh, you've got the, the, the cake book out and there's this incredible picture of a cake that you're going to make and it, you sort of put it in, you've, you've baked it, you've made it, it looks amazing, you've put it in that special Tupperware container on the back seat of the car, transported it very carefully to the party and then it's just a disaster. How we respond in those moments is when we start to see someone's true character. Maybe you've won an award or a grand final. Maybe you've had some great success in your life. Maybe you've received some, uh, maybe a master's degree or maybe you've earned something. You see someone's character in these moments. I could give you an image, I could give you a video, I could give you a detailed description of someone right now, but you wouldn't have any idea who they were until you see them in these moments. So my name's James uh, Lenigus. I'm Sarah's husband, uh, who's up front in the green this morning. And I'm normally at the back, like Sarah is, right now with our daughters. And so this has been a privilege for us to actually be a part of church together. And yes, Jonathan's unwell, so I had the call up Friday night, and I'm very, very pleased to bring a message to you this morning. So someone that you do know quite well is Noah. Hands up. You've heard the story of Noah and the ark. All right, you've probably read a picture book either yourself to a child. Right, you've come, become aware of the story of Noah. And this is kind of how his story goes in a real quick summary. All right, here we go. The world got bad. God had one noble man left. His name was Noah. Thank you. He gave him plans to build a really big boat, like a properly big boat. People mocked him and said, What are you doing? Who is this God you're following? You've got no idea what you're doing. The animals and the family boarded the boat. The flood came for 150 days and they survived. God remembered Noah and eventually the waters receded and Noah and the family were able to step onto dry land. My question for you is, what happened next? (laughs) That's a question for you. You've got 30 seconds to talk to the person next to you. If you're on the stream, comment away. Don't cheat. Bible's closed. Come on, no, no one should be open to Genesis. What happens next? You've got 30 seconds. Go. All right. There's a few sort of puzzled looks, a few pretty confident people. I've had a couple of laughs over here, so you might be quite on point if you're laughing. We're going to explore the, the uh, Genesis 9, 20 to 28, which sort of goes on after Noah steps onto dry land. The first thing he does is create an altar and gives a sacrifice to God. Who remembers that? Anyone remember that part? Yeah, very good. That's in some of the children's stories that we had on our bookshelf that I had a quick look at. So God, uh, Noah makes a sacrifice and it's pleasing to God and they form a covenant together. What I'm interested in is what is next. 
Let's have that up on the screen. So Noah began to be a man of the soil. So it's almost like he's stepping into retirement here. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done. And he said, Cursed be Cain, a servant of the servants shall be he to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Cain be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Cain be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived for 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Interesting uh, way to finish off probably one of the most epic stories we're ever going to read about. I feel like we're a little bit desensitised to the idea that Noah and his family beat a worldwide flood. It's pretty, pretty significant, but we've heard it so many times, it can sort of go past us. That he overcame literally the most crazy and outrageous natural disaster ever. He overcame that. What I want to do is put up a text that is not from the Bible, so full disclaimer, don't try and look for this because it's not in your Bible. This is a description of a false goddess named Anath. She's related to Baal, so some of you may click that with a god that um, Israel was trying to sort of continue to worship through the, the desert. And here's a description of her success in battle. So she has this really epic uh, thing that happens. She wins in battle. And what I've done is edit some of the parts out in case there are some children in here because it's, it was a little bit X-rated. It's still pretty M-rated. Um, so if you want the whole description, come and see me after the service. So here we go. Here is um, Anath after this battle. She fought the western nations of the seacoast. She struck the eastern people of the rising dawn. Under her, like scattered balls, were heads. Over her, like grasshoppers, were hands. With a staff, she herded hostages, rabble-rousers with a bowstring. Watch! Anath is coming home, the goddess proceeds to her palace, but she was not sated by her fight in the valley, the brawl between the two villages. She set up chairs for soldiers, set up tables for hostages, footstools for the champions. Redoubling her fighting, she sang, Anath brawled with pure delight, her heart bubbled with laughter, her mind filled with elation, the heart of Anath with triumph. Mm. Sounds like a pleasant sort of... (laughs) person to be around, uh, a little bit self-focused, a little bit happy to go and proclaim about how good they are. I don't know if you can think of anyone in your lives that's like that, pretty quick to tell you about all their success, pretty quick to tell you about uh, you know, how powerful they are or how successful they are or what they've done. So let's compare this to Noah for a little bit, right? They've both had these epics happen, right? Noah's overcome the flood and Nath's overcome this really big battle and they're pretty different in the way that they articulate um, the end of their story. Remember, Noah is literally the most successful man besides Jesus probably to live. He overcame that flood. And this account of Anath probably would have been expected, right? If you've got a God, lowercase g, just remember, 
false god, that this is how you would expect them to be talked about. Someone who overcame such incredible adversity, this is how you would talk about them. We don't have a recount of Noah that puts claim to having dominion over the oceans. It's not the fierce sea captain Noah. It's, it, he doesn't claim to have control or dominion over the animals like some superhuman. He doesn't sort of proclaim that his enemies drowned in the wake of his power. He doesn't claim to have the ability to tell the future or command the seas. And then once Noah leaves the ark, I mean, the world's been decimated, right? It's kind of his for the taking. He doesn't claim it as the king. It's not King Noah or Lord Noah as the ruler of the lands, right? He doesn't send out his sons to mark the boundaries of his territory. I'm sure there was at least some territory that was dry at this point. He doesn't stake his kingdom. He doesn't build a palace or a castle or a city in his name. No, he offers a pleasing sacrifice to his Lord, his creator and his deliverer. So a little bit different to Anath who is singing about how great she is and telling the world about how much of a wonderful warrior she is. It would have been pretty kind of normal and expected for Noah to do the same. But he doesn't do that. In fact, we get this strange glimpse into his humanness, his nakedness, his vulnerability, his need for the Lord, and that he is nothing without the power of his creator, God. Noah could have been a god. He could have, this could have been his moment to claim, right? After 600 years of diligence, look at my power, I'm Noah, the god. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't claim his epic story as his power. It's the complete opposite. We then have this sort of strange encounter between Noah's son, Ham, who sees his father naked. It's sort of like he goes to his brothers, boys, that first vintage that we put in, like dad's got a bottle early and he's like, he's, he's naked in the tent, he's drunk. Can you believe it? Oh, let's go and like, you know, poke fun of him. It's almost like that. For us, it would be embarrassing if we were obviously naked in front of anyone, but I don't think we quite understand the shame element the hist- and the, the, the change of the story that would be put in place if we were seen naked. It's a really big and significant thing. It's sort of this dishonouring of his parents that Ham does. And it shows that he must have had this wicked and perverse disposition as he took pleasure in his father's shame and desired to expose this to his family. So yes, it shows that this depravity was not eliminated by the flood, only judged, but it also demonstrates that Noah didn't have this claim that he had his family in order. He didn't have this dominion or control. There's no fear in Ham. He's not trembling you know, at the idea of going and gossiping about his father. He almost feels like he can, get, can kind of get away with it. This whole story is not the image of a God. This isn't the story of a God like we find in the story of Anath. You might be wondering why this is up here. This is very, very... Uh, well, this is a dolphin, if you can't quite see it. Uh, it's gold. I, I don't really know if it's actually gold-plated, uh, I doubt that they're diamonds. Um, I think we'd probably have less of a mortgage if they were real diamonds. Um, and I don't know how I'd go if we sort of put it up for auction right now. Like, would I get a dollar over here? Would I get like 10 over here, anyone? 100 bucks, maybe? I, I don't know. 
Probably not, maybe a dollar. I feel like someone would, would have uh, sympathy on me. But this is very special to me. <laughs> this was given to me on my seventh birthday by my grandma. And uh, she was a refugee from... Uh, she was in Lithuania, so she came out in World War II. She was in extreme poverty at that time and then came to Australia with nothing, settled in Semaphore. And to be able to give this to me for her was this symbol of extreme wealth and prosperity that I have no idea how much it cost, probably not a whole lot, but it symbolised a whole lot for her. And this is now a very precious possession of mine. And I'm sure if I lost it, I would go to great lengths to find it. I would do a whole lot to try and find my possibly gold-plated dinosaur, not dinosaur, dolphin, uh, with rust kind of coming through the top of it. (laughs) And so we have this idea of being God's special possession. Noah did this. He knew that he was God's special possession. He didn't try and be a God himself, and he didn't try and worship or proclaim anything else. He could have easily worshipped the other gods of the time, like the God of the ocean. That would have been a pretty logical God to go and worship and give thanks to for not killing him. But no, he, he worships and he gives thanks to the creator God, the one and only God. And so we're going to read from 1 Peter 2.9, which is where this idea of God's special possession comes from. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, now you have received mercy. If you are God's special possession, I mean, that's my first question for you, which we're going to explore. Are you God's special possession? Because if you are, you can't be a God yourself. You can't claim power and authority over your life. And nor can you be someone else's or something else's if you are God's special gift. It's really interesting. Uh, Noah took 600 years of his life to get to this epic story of overcoming the flood. 600 years of following Christ, or following, sorry, following God. Uh, and he um, developed a sense of character in which was, uh, he was able to actually point all things back to his creator. That there's a depth of character that must come in our story and in our lives for us to even be able to do this and to acknowledge it. And so I really wonder this question, Whose are you? And are you a little God? (laughs) We become like the gods that we worship. And I'm wondering, do you live your life as if you are a chosen person, a chosen people, a royal priesthood? Do you live your life as if you are a part of a holy nation? And are you living as if you are God's special possession? Maybe you've got a dream or a goal or a way of living. Maybe you feel like you have this hobby which consumes huge amounts of your time. Maybe you have this dream or aspiration. Maybe you wish you were like someone else. Maybe you wish you had their life. It's very easy to do with Instagram being so persuasive. I just wonder, what do you belong to? 
Do you belong to something else? Do you belong to a different movement or a different idea? Do you belong to your sporting team? Do you belong to your hobby? What is it that you might belong to? And do you belong to God as his special possession? Are you allowing yourself to be that? Alternatively, if you think that your skill, if, you, if we think that our determination, our ability or our brilliance or our power is the thing that created our success, then we're just like a Nath or Baal or El or any other false god. If we point our own grit or determination or sacrifice or the things we've done in our life, if we attribute that to ourselves, then we're just, uh, we're just trying to be a little god ourselves. We are not allowing ourselves to be God's possession. We're not pointing towards uh, our saviour as the one with the ultimate power. And so, I don't know, have you had successful investments? Have you had successful studies? Do you think you're a successful parent? Are you successful in retirement by being really involved in lots of things? Is it by your power that you do these things? Or God's power? Paul says that we have to we are to live ourselves we're to live our lives as living sacrifices. Sorry, I'll get that out. We're to live our lives as living sacrifices. For me, the image of Noah going through this incredible epic story of being bound up on the ship, the boat, the ark, for 150 days plus 40 days, so what? Look, the best part of a year. Coming out of that and actually going, I'm going to offer a sacrifice to the God who saved me and whose power we are filled with. It's an incredible image. And so for me, it's this routinely going back to that. Am I living as a sacrifice? And am I allowing myself to be God's special possession? Or am I trying to be a God myself? Or am I owned by someone else? Is there another God that I follow? Is there another God that I am following? Ben, if you would like to come up. These are my questions for you to go about your week. Are you trying to be a God yourself? That's question number one. So if you write anything down, that's the first question to ponder. Am I becoming a God myself? And am I following another God? Am I following uh, something or someone else? Or am I God's special possession? And am I allowing my whole self to be his? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are your special possession. And I pray for everyone here that if they are sitting in a position where they are not wholeheartedly allowing you to take their life, or if they're following something else, if something else seems or appears more attractive, may you be revealed to them. May, you, may they understand how special they are to you. And may they follow you as if they are your special possession. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.